HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by PASA Sustainable Agriculture. Register now for PASA's 2024 conference in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Don't miss over 70 educational sessions on farming and food systems, plus an expansive trade show. Learn more at pasafarming.org slash HRN2024. This is Capri Cafaro, host of Eat Your Heartland Out. On this hour of the show, we highlight some unique agricultural and food education programs based in the Midwest. Learn about the work of the Iowa Dairy Center, where community members and students at the Northeast Iowa Community College use the center as their own learning lab. And we explore how Kalamazoo Valley Community College is training a new generation of sustainable ag and culinary leaders. That's all coming up next. Mariah, we are really excited to have you on the program and to tell us about Iowa Dairy. Um, dairy is one of my favorite things. <laughs> and, um, you know, I certainly and no one could have dairy without lovely dairy farmers and the people in agriculture that produce this. So tell us a little bit about how you and your organization support the dairy industry in Iowa. Yeah, so Iowa's Dairy Center um, gets to play a really fun and unique role when it comes to dairy education. So at Iowa's Dairy Center, we focus on providing education for all groups of people. And so that includes um, farmers. So we do a lot of farmer outreach um, with our partner organizations. Um, uh, we host field days, we host meetings, we host trainings, um, because farmers are always um needing ongoing education, you know, with the latest technology coming out or ways for them to improve themselves or their farms. Um, we're always hosting things like that. So we get to pro provide education for farmers. Um, we also do a lot of student education. So at Iowa's Dairy Center, we partner with our local community college, Northeast Iowa Community College, mm -hmm. and we have a really strong relationship with them where the students um, use our farm uh, for labs um, to learn how to be um, better dairymen themselves. So a lot of our students 
um, will go back to their their family's farm after they're completed with college, or they'll go out and work for another farm or work out um, in the agriculture industry. And so by using our farm here, they're able to get that hands-on experience working with the cows, working with um, just the barn, the facilities, so they can, um, you know, like I like I mentioned, be um, great dairymen themselves. So my favorite piece of um, education at Iowa's Dairy Center is actually getting to educate the community, the public about dairy and dairy farming. Um, at Iowa's Dairy Center, we'll have about 10,000 visitors annually, um, which is a lot of visitors considering we are located in rural Northeast Iowa. So we've had visitors from all 50 states in over 30 countries. So just getting wow. to connect with a larger audience is, yeah, so fun. So I really, really enjoy that piece. Um, we get to plan a lot of really fun events on the farm. So every year we'll have breakfast on the farm. We'll serve about 1,200 people. Um, and it's a totally free, fun event. Um, and then I'm actually working on planning a movie night on the farm later this summer. And we're going to have like one of those giant inflatable movie screens. And um, we're actually going to have invite food trucks in for the, the public to come in as well. So anytime that we can connect the public with dairy farming, even in like unconventional ways, like, you know, a movie night on the farm, um, anytime they can come to the farm and have a really connect it with a really positive experience is a win for us. So that was a really long answer to, you know, your question there about um, what resources and, and what do we do for providing education for dairy? Hey, look, long answers are honest answers, so that's totally fine. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you talked about these 50 states, 30 countries. How far is your, like, furthest visitor that has come? Oh, goodness. Um, just this summer, so just a few weeks ago, we had a visitor from Ghana. And so that was really fun to, to meet her. And um, she was excited to see Iowa dairy farming. And so just really fun. It's kind of interesting how people find out about us, you know, whether it's I was just, just going to ask that, like, is it, school, is it school groups or like, is it just like people that just um, want to, are curious, like who finds yeah. uh, the organization and then subsequently the tours? Yeah. So it's kind of a combination. So like we'll do a lot of school groups, a lot of daycares, especially in the summer. But a majority of our visitors during the summer are just families, people that mm -hmm. want to learn about dairy. They want to they want their kids to pet their to pet cows and calves. They want to um, see where milk comes from. I mean, it's people of all ages, of all backgrounds. It's it's so fun. And it's just like it, I, like I said, I get to meet so many people and I would have never expected that in my career in Northeast Iowa that I'd meet like such a, a diverse group of people like through my job. What have you noticed from those folks, the people that come from Ghana or, um, you know, the different ages, you talked about daycares, but then like families, like how does that yeah. vary as far as like how they interact with what they see, um, the questions they ask? I can imagine they bring different perspectives. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Um, definitely all bring different perspectives. They all have different questions, you know, sometimes, but, you know, I grew up on a dairy farm. So some things that, you know, seem like second nature to me are not like common sense to, to everybody. So, um, so can I actually stop you there and ask, give me an example of that. 
So something that's like, doesn't always connect with people right away until you tell them is like, um, I'll always ask the kids that come on tours, like, um, are the cows in our barn boys or girls? And (laughs) usually I get the response, they're both boys and girls. But actually, you can only milk a girl cow, um, because only girls produce milk. So, um, and you'd think that adults would get that, um, or know that, but actually it it sometimes surprises them too. So, um, yeah, that's like one of those like things that I, yeah, like I said, growing up on a dairy farm, that was like second nature to me, but, um, yeah, kind of surprises some people. Um, I think that's kind of what else is, I think that shows a bit of the disconnect between how people understand farms or animals versus people, right? Because as you just Mm -hmm. noted, like it would, should seem somewhat obvious to an adult that the girl cows are the only ones that produce milk, but I don't think they think about that that way. So it just shows the value you bring um, from an educational perspective. Exactly. Yes. And um, we serve a lot of farms in our area. And one of the advantages of um, our farm here is we're open to tours, you know, um, growing up on a dairy farm, like my dad and my family just didn't have time to open our barn doors for 10,000 people every year. So in my position, being able to do that um, on behalf of farmers, when we go through a tour um, here, I'm, I'm sure to mention that, you know, this isn't unique to our farm, the way we care for our cows or the way we treat them. Um, this is very representative of dairy farms in Iowa and across the United States. I mean, we care and so do other farm families. It's just, you know, we are lucky that we're able to, you know, have somebody in my position that can, you know, provide that education and, and be open and available for tours for families because dairy farmers are very busy people. And so um, that's, yeah, yeah. What really makes my job unique and very special. So for people that don't understand dairy farming, is there a dairy season that occurs or, or not? Dairy season is all year round. Um, we need milk all year round. So we have cows that are having calves all year round. So a cow has to have a calf in order to produce milk, which is, um, like I said, something that, you know, common sense to me, but not to everybody. So, um, since cows or since we need milk all year round, cows need to be having calves all year round. So, um, no matter when somebody visits the dairy center, there's always going to be a calf being born within either that day or the next day. Um, you know, and we're always producing milk and, you know, so, um, we do have crop seasons of course, but, um, the actual milk harvesting is, is all year round. So tell us a little bit about, you know, the number of cows and calves and, what someone would see if they came to visit your farm. Yeah. So at Iowa's Dairy Center, we milk about 220 cows and we're very unique because we milk our cows two different ways. We milk Mm. our cows about half of our herd. So about a hundred cows in a, in a typical parlor. So where people are milking the cows, um, we milk three times a day. So we milk at four in the morning, noon and 8 PM. Um, and then we also milk the other half of our herd. So about 120 cows with robots. And so those ro- right. robots are milking cows 24 hours a day. So, um, those are two ways that we milk cows. Um, 
which is really fun for our visitors to see. And actually our viewing areas at the Dairy Center are open 24 hours a day. So if you're just driving by, um, you can swing by at two in the morning because the robots are milking cows and you can see cows being milked. Um, That is so cool. How does somebody like come and access that at two in the morning? Yeah. So um, we have these viewing areas with windows that overlook either the parlor or the robots. And people can just swing by, pop their head in and um, check it out. So, yeah, it's it's really fun. And I think that goes to show, too, how like committed we are to providing education to the public. I mean, we're fully transparent. You know, we don't have these, you know, set hours that you need to come. And that's when we, you know, treat our cows the best. That's not that's not the case. We are always treating our cows, you know with the best care we can, um, and are, and are available to the public 24 hours a day. So no matter what works in your schedule, um, you can come by and see cows be milked. Um, we do guided tours, you know, where I actually, um, or somebody else leads you around the farm and that's where you get to go inside of the barns and see the cows, um, like up close and petting them. Um, and that's really fun. So, um, on guided tours, we take our visitors in the barn. They can see where cows live, um, where they sleep, where they eat, where they socialize, um, pet them. Um, we go in the calf barn and see our youngest members of the herd, and it's it's always really fun. So, um, yeah, that's kind of what you'd expect to see at Iowa's Dairy Center. Um, what kind of reaction do you get from visitors when they see all of this? I get a really good reaction. I, one of the most impactful things that somebody said to me after a tour was it was um, actually somebody from California and they were very on the fence about dairy and dairy farming, dairy products, um, just based on what they've read, what they've heard about dairy. And after the tour, they told me, after seeing this, I feel really good about the way cows are treated and I feel that, and that makes me feel really good about consuming dairy products. I feel good about drinking milk. I feel good about eating cheese and eating ice cream. And to me, that was like the best thing somebody could have ever said to me. You know, that was like, that's what made it all worth it, you know, um, sure. to have somebody, because that person probably went back and told their family and, you know, told their friends and, um, it's just nice to know that, you know, we have a, a forever, the, the dairy community has a forever fan right there, just based on what they saw oh. from our farm and the way we treat our cows. And, um, yeah, it's, that was a really positive interaction. That's so wonderful to hear. And I, I mean, I'm always a forever fan of dairy. That's just me. Yeah. <laughs> I know everyone has their own perspective, <laughs> but I've always been a forever fan of dairy and, You know, um, I've had an Mm -hmm. opportunity to meet a number of very small family dairy farms um, and dairy farmers in Ohio, where I'm from, and have been incredibly impressed Mm -hmm. with what they've done and how they've treated their cows. Um, But it's great to know that there's a resource out there where people can just literally come 24-7 and see Mm -hmm. how it happens in real time to get that front row seat, which is really, you know, I think incredibly important um, as we try to educate folks about agriculture and what they consume. I mean, you know, you can't have um, food without farmers and dairy is no different. 
Right, exactly. Is there anything else you want our listeners to know about what you're doing there? Um, yeah, so at Iowa's Dairy Center, we are actually working. Sometimes we think, you know, when it comes to dairy, we think only about the cows. But also we have to consider the land base it takes to support cows, you know, and the food that we grow for them. Um, and so one of the big initiatives that we are doing at Iowa's Dairy Center and actually the entire dairy community as a whole is working on is um, working to reduce carbon emissions and eventually become mm. net zero um, by 2050. So that is one of the things that we're honing in a lot and focusing a lot of our, our efforts towards is how can we be a net zero farm? How can we look at, um, you know, what are some of the practices that we do on the farm that could reduce carbon emissions? Um, because that is such a hot topic right now. Um, people are very interested in, in that. And um, it's a big goal to, you know, become net zero, but we're completely committed to that. And so uh, we're just in the beginning part of our journey of becoming net zero. Um, we're planning a lot, um, having a lot of conversations with the farmers on our board and on our committee. Um, but we are excited to, to dive in further and, and start. We've done a lot of really good things so far. Um, in our fields, we are completely 100% no-till. We grow cover crops during the winter. So even, you know, after we harvest corn silage, you know, there's going to be a cover crop. Um, so that helps, you know, with the soil health and redu um, yeah, reducing erosion. Um, the cover crops help reduce re erosion. So, um, yeah, we are. So I think that's something that I'd like the public to know, too, is, you know, we, we really know how to care for our cows and we're doing a good job at that, but we're also committed to caring for our land as well. That's wonderful. It's good to know. And I definitely would love to check in with you at some other point in the future about how you're achieving that net zero, because there are a lot of industries all across the board outside of agriculture that are trying to do that. Mm -hmm. Because as you said, it's um, a high priority for so many. And it's good to hear that mm -hmm. I was part of that solution um, and also part of educating the public. So, Mariah, thank you very much yeah. for sharing the story today. Welcome to the program. Thank you. Thank you so much. So why don't I, um, I just, before we get into the program, maybe uh, each of you could introduce yourself just briefly um, and um, tell our audience a little bit about um, your role in the program. So um, Kate, why don't I start with you and then I'll go over to Lizzie. Thank you. Hello, everybody. I'm Kate Miller. I'm the Director of Career and Continuing Education for Kalamazoo Valley Community College. I have responsibility for a lot of our demand-driven programming in the areas of workforce, community, and uh, life enrichment. Great. Uh, and Lizzie? Hello, my name is Lizzie Luxinger, and I am Program Coordinator for Community Culinary and Nutrition. Right. Well, uh, we welcome you both, Kate and Lizzie, to the program. Uh, you know, when I when I was uh, learning a little bit about the Community Culinary and Nutrition Program at Kalamazoo Valley Community College, uh, you know, it really struck me that 
the program is really focused on um, food as a solution. And I, I wondered if, if either of you would be able to kind of uh, give us a little bit more detail on what that means to the program. Food as a solution, particularly as it pertains to, um, you know, the health of our communities. So we're really focused on food as a solution. Uh, there are so many opportunities uh, within our community, uh, within our region, to really use food, food as a tool to improve health outcomes. And there's a lot of education around uh, access. Uh, there's a lot of technical education in terms of helping individuals or community members learn how to, uh, the technical aspects of, of utilizing uh, culinary skills um, with food that is accessible to them in their community. Mm -hmm. So almost using uh, food as, as medicine as well, right? Absolutely, yes. As, as a tool, one of many tools in terms of interventions to be able to improve health outcomes um, and to make people uh, generally feel better. So it's my understanding that um, Kalamazoo Valley Community College is also um, associated with um, the Bronson Healthy Living Campus there in Michigan. Um, what is the, the Healthy Living Campus and how does your program uh, integrate into that mission? Um, so the Bronson Healthy Living Campus is really an integrated uh, collaborative campus, uh, downtown Kalamazoo. Um, it not only includes uh, the Kalamazoo Valley um, uh, Maryland Schlack Allied Health uh, Building, it also includes a Bronson Hospital and Integrated Services of Kalamazoo. And it was really an intentional collaboration formed to do exactly what we were just uh, talking about, improve health outcomes through working uh, together uh, with, with all of the different partners in the community intentionally. So, so give me a little bit more detail as far as uh, the programs, the curricula that you offer um, that you know, are aimed at being a, a tool for improving health outcomes, as you've said a number of times. Um, you know, we all know that, that you know, nutrition is directly linked to things like diabetes and obesity and hypertension and, and you know, a number of other chronic conditions. Um, but it sounds like your program is providing those tools to help uh, individuals um, in the community understand how to use food to navigate that. What are some examples of some specifics uh, out of the program that um, uh, allow the community to learn more about how food can be used as medicine or to improve their health? Yeah, two, two of the collaborations uh, that come to mind were with Integrated Services of Kalamazoo, uh, working with individuals who are uh, living with severe and persistent mental health, mm. uh, doing the research um, on the on the you know with the dietetic uh, uh, team with with the culinary team to come up with uh, recipes that support improved health outcomes specifically for that diagnosis. Uh, we're making sure that these uh, recipes are accessible, uh, making sure that as we're refining each publication that we're taking into consideration barriers uh, that we may not have seen or that we may have uh, even been a part of creating in the past. Um, and those uh, cookbooks, there are actually two of them, they're, they're available for free, um, are, are being actively used right now in the community uh, to, to support our, our um, community members. Uh, we've worked with uh, community members who are uh, diagnosed with uh, 
HIV. We've worked with community members who are recovering from cancer, um, all with specific health outcomes in mind, working with that team of uh, medical professionals to come up with the programming, the tools, the training, and then the ongoing support to, to make uh, whatever it is that, that uh, the, the learning transfers, uh, not just that, but also to make sure that it's sustainable, that they can uh, continue to practice those tools and uh, leverage those resources in their daily lives. Sure. Uh, you know, you mentioned uh, publications uh, and cookbooks as a way. How do you um, distribute those into the community? Well, we have them on our uh, website. Um, we've had quite a few community partners pick those up as well. Um, and then we have uh, printed publications that we share. Um, and when they run out, we get them reprinted. Don't go away. We have to pause for a break, but I'll be back with more from our guests from Kalamazoo Valley Community College. Want to cultivate farms and food systems that nourish, heal, and empower? Register now for PASA's 2024 Sustainable Agriculture Conference. Discover resources, services, and products at our expansive trade show and explore more than 70 educational sessions on climate smart practices, food justice, soil health, and more. Featuring a dynamic lineup of speakers, including Reginaldo Hasle Marroquin, farmer and founder of the Regenerative Agriculture Alliance and CEO of Tree Range Farms, and Reverend Dr. Heber M. Brown III, pastor, community organizer, and founder of the Black Church Food Security Network. Find your community at PASA's 33rd Annual Conference in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on February 8th through 10th. Register now at pasafarming.org slash HRN2024. That's P-A-S-A farming.org slash HRN2024. Welcome back to Eat Your Heartland Out. I'm your host, Capri Cafaro, with more from our guests from Kalamazoo Valley Community College. And it seems like, you know, this, this program is different than maybe some of the other programs that are available at uh, Kalamazoo Valley Community College because it's it's more focused on community outreach, not necessarily terminating in an associate's degree, uh, for example, or, or a professional certificate, but more to give um, those tools directly to the community for them to empower themselves. Am I getting that right? You're getting a lot of that. Absolutely. A lot of it is competency-based training, and really the focus is on de delivering that competency in the shortest amount of time. So certainly that is a lot of what we do, uh, but we also, um, you know, in that demand-driven space, do a lot of listening. So in some cases, uh, certifications are, um, you know, desired or required. Uh, one example would be a chef coaching a program that we have oh. planned for March that's in partnership with uh, Harvard Medical School and Spalding Rehabilitation Hospital um, on chef coaching specifically. It's targeted for medical professionals who are uh, working in the field, doctors, nurses, dietitians as examples, and it really arms them with the tools to, in real time and uh, in a very adaptive manner, uh, coach patients on culinary skills. Um, and that actually results in a certificate of completion, not only from Kalamazoo Valley, but also those other institutions as well, Harvard and Spalding. Mm -hmm. So we really look at the need and analyze that. And, um, you know, whether it's just the knowledge transfer that's needed, we can do that. But if there are certifications or CEUs mm -hmm. or other types of um, sign-offs that are, you know, relevant or needed for that specific circumstance, then we go through that process as well. Sure. Well, it sounds like a very collaborative process 
um, trying to meet the needs of whether it's an institution or a specific community need. Uh, the, the program, as far as I'm aware, has been going on for almost a decade. How has the how have you been able to measure the impact of your work within the community? Um, and what has the reaction been? Uh, how has it been received by not just your community partners, but the but you know the public at large? Yeah. Well, with the medical culinary programs, it's all the health outcomes. So it's the data um, that we're measuring, um, you know, pre and post. Um, so if the goal is to reduce uh, BMI um, or, or, or cholesterol, then then that's what we're measuring there. And, and that's how we determine if, if those programs are successful. In terms of our community programs um, uh, that maybe don't have data points in terms of deliverables, but are more geared for entertainment or kind of, a, you know, a more of the life enrichment experience it's, it's really that demand and 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 every case uh, for the last offerings our classes have been sold out um, uh, and substantially with waiting lists as well so looking at um, you know the, the kind of the supply and the demand um, we also evaluate each course um, so we measure um, the uh, response from the end user in terms of what their experience was um, and then we we make changes to to future offers so um, we're we're trying to measure as much as we possibly can and, um, you know, modify as we, we're going forward. Um, but to answer your actual question, um, it's been very, very positive. Um, we, we have um, a lot of a lot of demand and it's been very, very difficult for us to keep up with that demand. Well, that sounds like a good problem to have. Uh, what's what's on the horizon for the future of the program? Uh, well, I think uh, one thing that I see in the future is a lot more of the kombucha classes uh, coming. We had a, a really uh, amazing uh, class last week, and it seems that community interest is up really high uh, for gut health and learning how to do at-home fermenting. So I think you'll see a few more of those coming out next year. Uh, we're also working with the Michigan Fitness Foundation and doing some more uh, SNAP education that will be free culinary education for middle school and high school students. Uh, the curriculum is called the Learning Kitchen for that. Um, so those will be coming out sometime probably post uh, first quarter of next year as well. And then just like we always do, we have a, an interest list that we're gauging, uh, taking from community members, and the interest list uh, will, will dictate what our next open enrollment offerings will be. Well, I can't wait to hear uh, what the community is interested in next. It seems like you are doing incredibly important and impactful work, uh, not just, uh, you know, enriching and entertaining, but having real meaning uh, and an impact on people's lives and health there uh, in Michigan. So I, I want to thank you for joining the program and letting us uh, know a little bit more about the work that you do. Well, thank you both for joining us. I really appreciate it. And as we continue the conversation with um, different uh, individuals that are affiliated with uh, the variety of programs that are offered at Kalamazoo Valley Community College that you know touch all aspects of food, from agriculture to horticulture to brewing to you know community outreach, um, you, know, you uh, both. Rachel and Kyle are doing some really interesting things um, at the Food Innovation Center there. Um, so, you know, Rachel, I'll uh, let you kick it off. Tell our listeners about uh, the mission of the Food Innovation Center and uh, the role that, that you are playing in um, its work. 
Thanks. I love that question. Um, so the Food Innovation Center is one of the facilities at the college's Bronson Healthy Living Campus. The other one, of course, houses our culinary and brewing and allied health programs. And the Food Innovation Center is here on the south side of downtown Kalamazoo on about five acres of brownfield in the floodplain. And the building houses an urban farm and a social enterprise food hub. What is um, explain to me about the, the social enterprise um, mm-hmm. aspect. To explain what that means. The Valley Hub Social Enterprise is a revenue generating operation of the college, and we run as a food hub, which is a, mm-hmm. a, essentially a small scale food distributor that specializes in source identified local and regional products. Mm-hmm. And the social enterprise aspect means that we are. Um, seeking to fulfill a social mission in addition Mm -hmm. to covering our costs. And our social mission is threefold. We are filling a gap in the supply chain in local and regional food systems. You know, the economics don't work out great um, for growers who are trying to sell their product into, um, say, a hospital or a a school system, cafeteria, Um, Mm -hmm. the costs of local food production are higher than what you see in the global industrial food system. And we're trying to fill a gap and just make those choices easier. Um, We are also a supportive employment workplace. We we work with a local agency and take referrals um, for adults with barriers to employment. And we Mm -hmm. build a a really inclusive and supportive place for those individuals to work. And we also employ our students and others who are looking to get a foot in the door in the food industry. Mm-hmm. And then all of our operations as a business are in support of our educational programs. So students in the culinary arts and sustainable food systems degree program actually spend um, a good chunk of their time in all of their kitchen classes and one specific class, which Kyle teaches, um, that is a full eight weeks hands-on here in our food hub on our urban farm, learning about all aspects of the food system. Well, that is a great segue, thank you, Rachel, for Kyle, uh, to explain the work that that you do uh, educating uh, students in the community in that program. Yeah, so I teach classes that are both on the culinary side as well as the agri-food side. So with the agri-foods class that we just created, the students get to work um, inside of the hub. So we get the the play around and they get experience with all of the different high capacity equipment that is in there. They also assist with growing and harvesting and planting various crops on our urban farm. And then I also take them out into the community to various um, producers and processors so that way they can understand how food gets to the shelves in the form that it's in. Mm-hmm. That's, I mean, obviously very important um, for individuals that are interested in, um, you know, employment in, in the food systems. Now, I know that sustainability is something that is important to um, the, the Food Innovation Center and to the many of the affiliated programs there at Kalamazoo Valley. Uh, um, Kyle, maybe you can um, share a little bit about how maybe sustainability is integrated into um, the program and, and that you teach. Yeah, so uh, one of the things we, we talk about in the class is, you know, the population is growing. You know, how are we going to feed 
everybody that's here on Earth, you know, in the year 2050, if population continues to increase in the size that it is. So we do look at that sustainability and in really using, you know, every bit of the products as we're throughout the different labs that are in the class. So they, we, we, we try not to waste anything. Yeah. And it even goes down so far as to with the brewing department. Um, I'm actually working with the brewing department to get their spent grain after they finish their brewing to take it over across the way to the bake lab to have them create cookies out of the spent grain then that I wow. can use to um, help market our program while I go around to various high schools. And then they can see the full aspects where you've got all you've got very you got sister programs all working together to create a product that, you know, a lot of people didn't even think existed. That's impressive. I mean, that's really going above and beyond as far as not wasting product. Uh, what about um, methodology as far as actually, you know, farming uh, and horticulture? Are there, uh, you know, sustainable efforts in, integrated into that as far as maybe irrigation or soil use or, you know, those sort of things that um, would be, in, or, or pesticides, any of that kind of thing? Our urban farm, it's 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 a really interesting urban farm. And we actually say it's the least efficient farm possible because our number one crop is education. But we are that. intending to showcase the, the full spectrum. Thank you. We're intending to showcase the full spectrum of sustainable agriculture production as best we can on our five little acres. And so we have um, kind of traditional in the ground organic field production uh, happening in some of our areas. We have smaller kind of backyard scale raised beds. We have some areas that are using permaculture and polyculture methods. Mm-hmm. And then we have our greenhouse where we're doing hydroponics and aquaponics, which are both oh, wow. methods to grow food without any soil at all. Yep. Um, and counterintuitively, hydroponics is actually very water conservative. It uses it uses very little water, wastes very little water. Um, and so our students get to see there are all these different ways of producing food. And some may make sense in some places and some may make sense in other places, depending on the climate and the growing seasons there. Um, and our goal is just to demonstrate that there is resilience comes from diversity and that is a Mm -hmm. key component of sustainability as well. So that's something we're trying to teach. I had read um, in my research that um, the USDA is helping fund the, um, a program for sustainable systems for horticulture, agriculture, and urban landscapes. Is that still happening? Is that in the works? It is. Yes. We have um, shortened the title, so it's a little less cumbersome, but our sustainable (laughs) horticulture program is approved um, by our board of trustees and the Higher Learning Commission and official. So it will launch in winter 2023. And that is, we talk about it as the horticulture, a horticulture program for the industry that we need in 20 years not the industry that exists now. And so it'll include a lot of really basic plant science um, and and some strong foundations in botany, but then students will have the opportunity to focus on either greenhouse production or on sustainable landscape management. So designing urban and suburban 
green spaces in such a way that they need fewer inputs, um, that they can actually provide habitat and perform ecosystem services and um, maybe even produce food. So there's a fruit and vegetable class in the horticulture program as well. We're so excited about it. And you're right, it was funded by the USDA's Agriculture Food Research Initiative Education and Workforce Program. That's amazing. And I love the forward thinking uh, of of the work that you're doing, talking about not what you need today, but what the industry may need 20 years from now. What else is on the, I, I ask everybody this, I have to ask you as well, um, to both um, either uh, you, Rachel, or Kyle, what's on the horizon? What do you hope to see next from the work that you're doing there at the Food Innovation Hub? I'm so excited about the class that Kyle has been teaching. He just launched that class this fall semester. Really? And yeah, it's based on a class that we had been teaching for the last six years. Um, that was a full semester class and um, it was just focused on the food hub. And then there was a separate class focused on the urban farm and we've combined them. And then we've also embedded some of that content into the culinary courses. And so I'm really excited to see our students in the culinary arts program making stronger connections to the food systems and agriculture mm. content. That was the goal of making that shift. And it's it's really, uh, it's clear that it's working. And so I'm excited to continue down that path. Um, and, and then to launch a new program on the horticulture side and have a whole different set of students around and interacting with those culinary students and with those brewing students um, and kind of creating the student ecosystem. Yeah, the student ecosystem. Kyle, how are you cultivating the student ecosystem as an instructor? Uh, well, <clears throat> we're, we're very fortunate in our program that the students, you know, it's not like uh, a typical instructor student where I, I'll see them for one class on their journey of two to four years to get to their degree. You know, we see the students over and over again. So we really do have our own little student ecosystem and faculty ecosystem where it's a, it's a much deeper relationship with us. So for me, I, I see the students uh, early on in culinary math, and then I see them uh, for the Ag 212 class. And then I recently switched from the restaurant uh, for the last five years. I've taught the uh, restaurant management class running the 418 restaurant on campus. But, you know, over the course, you know, we see these students over and over again. So it's just a nice atmosphere or ecosystem. I like using that that term better now. You know, as, uh, we go I, through, I like it as, well. as they go through their studies, you know, as they go sure. through their studies and then they can always come back to us. You know, we've got a couple of alumni that have set up really great internship programs for our students that are currently going through our culinary program. You know, so it, it's, it just continues on. So it's kind of spreading as we move throughout Kalamazoo. You know, we've got a lot of partners that are starting to uh, to really come on board that have been through our program now that we're, uh, well, this is our sixth year into the program. Mm. We started, I think, 2000, the fall, of, uh, the fall of 2015 was when we started. I came on board in January of 2016. What's really cool about Kyle and the class that he's teaching is that he's full-time faculty in the culinary program. He has experience in restaurants, like years and years of experience in restaurants, but also is a farmer. And wow. in that regard is a supplier to the Valley Hub Food Hub. And wow. so I like to I like to describe Kyle as the entire food system in one person. 
Um, but it makes him such a great instructor for that class um, because he has he really has a stake in that that business operation and making it successful, um, not just for his students, but also for his own business. It's a it's a really it's a cool partnership. It really sounds like it. And, and Kyle, so that's that's a heavy you're, you know, your entire food system in one person. That's serious business. Um, you know, I don't I don't know if I'd want that kind of responsibility, but. I think what what you're both describing is really, I mean, I know it's the food innovation hub, but it really is innovative because you are taking each one of these aspects and you're, you know, enabling students to really get a, a comprehensive and holistic sense of everything that goes into the food system. Um, and And so I can imagine that the culinary arts students, um, you know, and those that may be engaged in the future on the horticulture side, they're going to get that benefit of, you know, the, the one man show that is apparently the entire food system. Um, and all of these other programs at, at, at Kalamazoo Valley that um, draw upon one another, which I think is, is really unique and, and a great benefit for the students and, and ultimately for, for the community as well. So kudos to you both. And, Thank you so much for sharing the story with, with me and with our audience. You've been listening to Eat Your Heartland Out. This episode was produced by me, Capri Cafaro. Our audio engineers are Liam Warner and Armin Spengen. Theme music by Jason Shaw. You can learn more about the show by visiting heritageradionetwork.org backslash Eat Your Heartland Out. Eat Your Heartland Out is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.